0: T after hours, and tonight we are talking about Love, Deaf and Robot season two. I'm your host, always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co host, the one and only Miss Kim Lowe. Hello, as we said, uh, we are going to be talking about Love, Deaf and Robots season two. Uh, you may remember a few after hours episodes um, ago that we did cover the whole of season one before, and I think we were both in Greens, it was a fun time
1: yeah it was, yeah.
0: absolutely so obviously with the announcement of season 2 which I was kind of reassured that they finally gave us a trailer because it was quite a long wait um, it felt like since the end of season 1 and there was this horrible nagging feeling that it was never going to happen, I mean that was back in 2019, when I now here in 2021 and we finally have the 6 episode run of season 2 and we've obviously got another run coming up next year as well which is uh, nice and reassuring i think as i said we'll probably get into it as uh, we go through the episodes of this season it was certainly a change of pace i think to the first season i don't know about yourself kim but I've, this one was a little more toned down than the first season
1: yeah it was i mean on top of that the segments felt um shorter uh the topics felt a little bit more um i guess i don't know what you you would call it i don't know if you have a word for it that. It seems a little bit less extreme, I guess, in some in some ways.
0: Definitely so. I think, um, I mean, the I certainly enjoyed the variety of stories that we had on offer with this volume. Um, I felt that they really sort of hit some interesting topics as they did with the first season. And it also manages to blend that line between you having really funny stories and then you have stories which are a little more serious, a little more action-orientated. So it was a good blend in there. It just i don't think that with this season we had that sort of like those sort of standout episodes that we had in the first season with like beyond the aquila rift or um which is obviously the one that always comes to mind when you think of like those stories with the amazing sort of twist in them um whereas this this season it seemed more focused on just just giving um directors an opportunity to just tell interesting stories which i think is what they've uh, certainly achieved at least in this season
1: yeah for sure I mean, the variety is good um, for of the different premises, and they do cover um, kind of different scenes of of you know the covering topics of love, death, robots, and all that stuff. And and I think that one of the things is really the animation style really also has a lot of variety, and that's something that I personally really enjoy.
0: Yeah, what we're going to do uh, on tonight's episode, we're going to go through the whole all the episodes in uh, this volume. In the previous time we did Love Death and Robots, we broke it down to dramas which I don't think it's going to really be necessary this season because it's really quite short. I was really surprised. I was expecting like a big chunk of episodes but I think as with the new Netflix model where everything's as I think you were telling me before we came on air tonight that everything's sort of dropped down in the number of episodes that they do per season. Uh, now it used to be quite a few episodes and now they drop them down to like six episodes per season now so
1: yeah, I think I honestly think it's just it's just because of the pandemic that things are not you know moving as much, or maybe it's just the fact that they're creating shorter seasons in order to um, have more material come out yeah. faster. I guess I don't know what the reason is honestly, but it's something that I've noticed. I mean, uh, when I watch you know docu series or when I watch like um, even when you talk about Ugly Delicious, they drop from I think it was like eight episodes to four episodes. And, you know, when you watch shows like that, it's like four episodes, like two seconds, and you're done watching it.
0: (laughs) Kicking off uh, this season, uh, we had uh, automated customer service in which we look at a futuristic retirement community, which is basically staffed by robotic helpers that handle everything from walking your dog to cleaning your house. And it's here that we meet the elderly woman, Jeanette, who lives with her little yappy dog. Um, and finds herself under attack from a vacu-bot when it decides that it's going to engage its purge mode and try and kill her. Um, <laughs> this is a really fun twist on you know, on the automated home going rogue. We've seen it a couple of times in things such as like Demon Seed and Home Wrecker. So to see it again here and giving us much more comedic slant, especially because it's old people, uh, was a lot of fun. I think this was a. a One of the early highlights of the season, I think, just from the start, it really sort of um, hit those comedic beats really well. And as it goes on, just how it manages to keep amping it up. um, And the fact that you're dealing with old people just made it even more sort of humorous, really.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, automated customer service is is really fun. I think as a starting type of episode for the season, it's a really great way because it really blends in a lot of different genres. And at the same time, you have... You have this, um, I think the topic is also familiar enough, but they give it a decent little twist, especially because, you know, you play with the whole modern day versus, you know, like technology, but then she's trying to talk to a representative. And and just these little conversations that you have really highlights that world that she's in right now, where this future is where technology has taken over for the most part and you know talking to a customer service person right now takes a long time but (laughs) in the future when it's all run by robots (laughs) it takes six hours to talk to an actual person which which is just ridiculous um and there's a lot of these like really over exaggerated bits which adds a lot of to to the comedy as well um whether it, and and the whole conversation really with this whole automated customer service is is kind of <laughs> it's at the same time ridiculous as it is funny and at the same time while she's trying to not get killed by her vacuum bot you have these two kind of different levels of I think threats in your life you know
0: I I love it most fun when you mentioned about the customer service the idea that you can either speak to a machine and you speak and get it sort of automatically or it's like a six hour wait to speak to a person and it just plays imperfectly into this idea where we have now where you phone any of these services and you just like want to speak to somebody but you can never speak to them because you're going to go for the automated service um, so the fact that the customer services is automated as well was just really kind of funny and when it starts off and you've got the robot helper they're basically trying to adjust the pitch and she keeps moving it back and it Keeps moving it back again and then it just goes, uh, goes completely sort of nuts as though it's been, like, offended was just, (laughs) just great. The fact she does yoga as well was just bizarre, though. But I was, like, kind of glad that they found a way to, like, justify why (laughs) she's doing yoga. Other than just to have it really kind of this sort of bulbous woman doing a headstand. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well you know I mean it's not it's not that weird I didn't find the yoga bit that weird <laughs> but I mean at the same time it was it was really I think the <laughs> it, it, it it is pretty you know the the whole idea of this story I think really um amps up till the end where you you see this not only do you see this you know neighbor that shows up but at the <laughs> same time you also end this on this kind of note where you wonder whether that all this technology amounts to one main thing and that's um and that is whether it's planned for them to for this to be just kind of making you buy more because at the end you know you have your customer service which leads you into this stuff and then it leads you into purge mode and then and then purge mode leads to <coughs> le- leads to more um like um, more intense things, and then you know you have this whole thing where you can be on this uh, termination. What is it, whitelist or something? I can't remember what it is. Oh yeah, you blacklist. Can, I can't. Remember yeah,
0: you're on the. You're basically on the termination blacklist, where all machines will now turn against you and try and hunt you down, unless you want to buy yeah. um, a reset code.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right. And then at that point, it's like <laughs> what I went through my head was: is this like all just a scheme, like the automated customer service? all of this that they're doing is they're directing you into creating the situation where where you either make it out alive and have to buy and buy further into their program yeah or you know choose to live on the edge type of thing you know <laughs> it always
0: seems to be the way whenever we like have a society which is like fully automated where we've just become like basic lazy slobs and the machines do everything and you can see the examples of this where it always hits the point where the machines sort of like have enough and turn on their masters and you can see it in like uh, the Animatrix Second Renaissance which was like how the Matrix came to be where we basically had automated everything and we're enjoying this sort of fat life and uh the robots turn on humanity, and we see it in Wally. <laughs> the computer turns yeah. on humanity. It's, we're all too busy being fat and riding around in hover chairs um, when the machines have secretly been taken over.
1: No, I mean there, there's been there's been a lot of uh, short films, you know, in the recent years, whether it's indie or not. If, if you ask me to say one on the top of my head, I can't remember the names, but I mean, I I have seen a few shorts and indie festivals and stuff like that um, where it is about topics like this obviously those are with actual humans <laughs> but uh, but um, i mean th- like 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 the topic here is not that weird but i think that the the concept of having this this vacuum bot that has these like modes that are set inside of them already right yeah. i mean most of the time you talk about robots they're about them being corrupted but in this one, it's not about corruption. This mode is literally set inside of this, this, <laughs> this this cleaning this cleaning robot that lives with you, which is kind of ridiculous, right? It's like a hidden program that's been already in there.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> it is a fun one. I mean, the story itself is uh, by John Scalzi, who's probably most noteworthy for doing *Oman's War*. Um, the, film itself is uh, directed by Meat Department, who uh, come in uh, Danver, Mirren, uh, David Nicholas, and Laurent Nicholas. And I just love the fact that all the... Because they're a collective, so it's always like, directed by script by John and Meat Department. <laughs> it's like, of <laughs> all the things you can name yourselves, Meat Department. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is... a The actual animation for this one's... Um, it's, it's kind of funny. It reminded me of um, in the first season when the yoghurt took over. It's uh, right. the, the the characters, the kind of bull was kind of rounded. It's uh, When you look at the other how everyone else is animating the rest of the season this one's probably the least realistic when it comes in terms of the animation but I think it still worked really well and it's, it fits well with the humorous style of this story. So
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um... To move on, yeah. Cool. Uh, next up, we have Ice, uh, which is directed by Robert Valley. Uh, Robert Valley was in the previous season. Um, he did Zema Blue. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Well, it you can really see the animation style have that jive that really it reflects each other really well.
0: Yeah. Um, his visual style is very sort of influenced by um, the Gorilla's creator Jamie Huberlet, who also did uh, Tank Girl. And uh, also Peter Chung, who did Aeon Flux. So it's got a very sort of like comic book style to it. Mm. And I think with Ice, he certainly sort of steps it up to that next level. Because also with Zima Blue, it was it was a very distinctive style, but it was a very sort of simple story. And then when we look at Ice, it's really him bringing that same animation style, but this time applying it to action. Um, and certainly with with this story it gives us some of the most memorable sort of sequences when we saw that trail and you see the big whale rising up um, against the lightning backdrop and that's taken from this story where you've got these two brothers sedgwick and fletcher who are living on an ice covered colony planet where most of the population have been genetically modified and sedgwick hasn't been modified so he's just completely normal unlike his brother and basically if you've been modified you've got like these superhuman abilities and if you're not, you're basically branded as a, an outcast. And he's basically really sort of rebelling against it. He doesn't want to be stuck in his colony. He's resentful of his parents for not having him modded and keeping him normal. And he decides he's going to join his brother on this uh, race with several of the other youths of the colony across the ice flows in the hopes that um, it will also give them a chance to catch a glimpse of the frost whales that uh, breach through the ice. So, essentially, they're going to run from this one point away from the colony back to uh, the colony and avoid these uh, whales that are going to burst through. And it's a simple story, but I think the art style really sort of raises it above what it, what it could have been uh, if someone else has handled it, and especially when you see, like... The real sort of climax of this story is these—the uh, basic they're running away from these cracking ice flows, and you see these huge whales like rising up. It's just really quite stunning to look at. So,
1: definitely, I mean, ice is—I think the first thing that stands out for ice is absolutely its art style. It really stands out in this group of stories, also for this season. Um, so, art style-wise. And when you talk about the world, they actually, in that little sequence, managed to build this world quite a bit. I mean, throughout this one, we go through a lot of kind of different... It feels like different colonies that are away from Earth or different planets or that sort of thing. So we kind of venture a little bit everywhere or at least a changed landscape of maybe like an alternate alternate kind of uh, reality, I guess. Yeah. Um, for Ice, the world itself and... Um, right away, it sets the tone of where, just from the actions and the scenes, you see how the two brothers are different. Just from the walk to the actual, where the race is. Um, and the interaction between the two, you really can see, um, you know, the environment where, you know, being, the, being modded and not modded, uh, the, I guess, the view that people has on you and the way they kind of um, criticize you in that sense uh but when you do the run it really highlights i think on the relationship of the brothers and i guess really seeing that uh fletcher i don't know whether he has it's you know you go through this thing where he actually gets caught in the ice and sedge has to save him um and as they as they you know are running together you really see the the bond that they have together in a certain way and i think in in some ways it's also the ending of this is where you you get an idea you you kind of have this question mark of whether of whether all this was staged yeah <laughs> and but you are right i think the highlight of this is not only the art style but it's also i think the frost whale coming out is such a incredible scene, in itself, and shows so much of this animation style and this, you know, imagination and creativity. In some ways, I kind of want to see this world being taken to a full length movie to see what they can do in a world like this, you know, with frost whales, with modded humans, and and whatever, right? Because there seems like that this kind of premise has so much more to dig in and like what other creatures can you create in this in this Iceland and that sort of thing
0: Oh definitely so I think this is like a colony it'd be really interesting to return to at some point and in many ways it reminds me of the movie Gattaca where everyone's sort of destiny is uh, predetermined by the genetic code and obviously when we with this one you look at Sedgwick and he sort of like pretty much looks like he's going to be the one destined to be carried by his brother and alternately it's Turns out the other way when uh, Fletcher gets it. Fletcher gets caught, and so we're just forced to carry him. And it's like this idea that, you know, there's no comparison to the human spirit. So it doesn't matter what how much your body's odd. The human spirit sort of like can push on and do these incredible things when push comes to shove. And I think the fact that he his desire to obviously save his brother from being like crushed by a giant ice well, um, I think was really sort of highlighted that. And yeah, it was it's. It, you're watching it and as I said when it when it you finally sort of hit on like what's gonna happen I think that it really comes becomes really interesting and because um, I wasn't really, weren't sure where it was going to go when it started I was like oh where's this one gonna go and then we get out onto the ice and uh, it just looks so stunning. I think if you enjoyed the Azima Blue, I think this just takes it to a whole new other level, especially with the ice effects and just like how this wasteland looks, looks and how the uh, colony looks as well. It's just so much interesting design detail in there. But it
1: almost, it almost, you know, I also like the fact that they actually bring in. I feel at least I feel like it's a bit of a uh, maybe a parallel or similarity to say um, when when there's these indian tribes i i, I watched it somewhere before where they kind of smoke this thing and then they have these illusions mm. and stuff like that i don't know what it's called okay but it almost feels like that when there's one segment before they do this race and then they're they're smoking in this thing yeah. and then suddenly that ice effect shows up and you really like this kind of this i don't know if it's a hallucination or an amplif amplification of your sensors <laughs> senses or or whatever but That whole sequence um, for that, you know, short amount of, I don't know, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever, was just really, really, like, um, really, really, it was able to show how great, I think, in general, this animation and the style that it is and just how visually very eye-catching.
0: Yeah, definitely. So next up, we had uh, Pop Squad. Uh, This is a story which I think would have been really interesting if they expanded it into a full feature. But it's uh, directed by Jennifer Ewan Nelson, who directed the last two Kung Fu Panda movies. So exactly the sort of person you think of when it comes to telling a story (laughs) about a dystopian future where we've traded out the rights to procreate for drug-induced biological immunity. (laughs) I know it's my go-to director for that sort of story. Um (laughs) But yeah, basically, in the in this future, you breeding is strictly forbidden, and any children that are found um, are executed by this uh, police force, while the parents are sort of prosecuted. And we it through this uh, for this story that we followed Detective Briggs, who is become very disillusioned by the world around him. Um, his lover Alice has got sort of like it's very sort of casual to this idea that you know we're just like living in this this world where we can have immortality but we've sort of sacrificed it at the cost of having children and that he's basically being forced to execute children just to maintain this social balance and it's through this uh Blade Runner-esque sort of world that he Stumbles across this uh, woman who's buying an antique uh, toy train set because in this world children's toys are like antiques, and he basically finds that she's uh, been harbouring this daughter, harbouring a daughter called Melanie, and he basically finds just through talking to her, he, like realizes that you know children give you a reason to live because after two centuries, as she explains, that everything has become like dull. There is nothing new to discover in life, and children make everything new again. This is why, you know, people are choosing to have children and go against the rules of society. Whereas, there's you've got other people that are just happy to like perfect their social status just by completely rejuvenating themselves over and over again. But um, yeah, I really enjoy Pop Squad. I think it, I think because it taps into that Blade Runner-esque world. I think um, it really made me once wish that they'd done this. As like a full feature but as a sample i feel really good
1: yeah for sure i mean pop squad is no doubt you know it, it i never i didn't realize it was a kung fu panda <laughs> director that did it um but uh i mean i think that this one is definitely a highlight and probably one that we can probably draw the most comparison when you're thinking about something that's produced by david fincher i guess in this in this time this time rather than i don't know
0: uh um, yes mark mark um Tim Miller and uh, David Fincher the um uh down as the the producers of of this um of yeah, the show. Yeah. So I think
1: Yeah, Fincher is really
0: executive s- though.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that in in some ways if you think about it, if someone had a say about anything, Pop Squad would definitely be kind of like a Fincher choice, <laughs> especially, you know, based on um based on, you know, upcoming we're going to be talking about Fincher. Um it's a really good way to bring it in type of thing also. Um, But at the same time, you know, Pop Squad also has a really great voice cast in many ways. I mean, you do have, you know, the elusive Nolan North, who you can recognize as voice (laughs) a million miles away.
0: (laughs) I was wondering if you pick up on his performance. It's...
1: Oh, no, it, it's, you know, as, as gamers and, and, you know, people who watch a lot of TV <laughs> in general, <laughs> Nolan North is kind of, you know, you can, you can pick him up because he's very, very, his voice is so familiar, yeah. especially after you watched him in Uncharted for, you know, three games and, and, you know, many of his other voice acting roles. He is really, you know, kind of uh, just, just really outstanding in the, the voice as a voice actor. And for this one, I think it fits his, his role a lot, especially because I, I actually think the face kind of matches his a little in some ways. Um, but, I mean, you also have Elodie Young um, as Alice, who I'm sure I've seen her in something, but I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But yeah, no, I mean, Pop Squad is definitely one that has the most kind of a deeper storyline. It creates this future in the world that is very dark um very you know very sci-fi it has a kind of a balance of everything and you can really see this whole chase of immortality that people have where what expense it has on the society itself and you know, is immortality as much as as much as you bargain for, right? I mean, in some ways, if you're having immortality, you lose out on living because you, you there's nothing to live for anymore. You know, like there's only so much you can do. Like, I mean, I mean, think about the girl. She she's like, oh, immortality and the re- reju injections or whatever yeah. you call it can create can let her figure out this perfect her singing of in, in 20 years. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like well what type of life is that and then when you when you think about the people who you know obviously when you talk about Briggs he he brings into this thing where he starts seeing I guess the he starts questioning the things that he's doing and the purpose behind all of this Um, so when that conversation with, uh, with the mother really happens he starts you know he starts seeing the, the joy of children yeah and the joy of just having this um a world where you can actually have people have younger children who are very pure and have all these feelings and emotions which it seems like the people because they've lived for so long have seemed to have lost
0: well we, we remember i mean the woman he finds eve she says that she's been alive for two centuries so this is not something that's just recently happened these people have been living a very long time and yeah. you kind of understand that briggs has been doing this as for that long a time that is going to eventually get you after a while mm-hmm. like no matter what you're sort of indoctrinated with is and you're going to hit that point of like well what does it all mean and i think this is what we basically come in on him having that that moment um and as you said, it's all like, well, what what's there to really sort of achieve if you've got unlimited time to do it? Um, there's only so many fancy parties you can go to, only so many skills you can learn. And it's sort of like, what is the uh, the end goal here? So, but no, I think it would have been really interesting to see this expanded out into a a full feature. Maybe it will happen down the line. It's, you never know with these these things. This may just be like a test run and. And get turned mm-hmm. into something down the line. But, no, Jennifer e. Nelson, Nelson, um, one of only two um, women to direct a full-length animated feature for a major Hollywood studio. Um, mm-hmm. She's also the supervising director for, the, for this season. But, um, no, certainly when you look at... I was looking through her sort of credits. I mean, she starts off uh, as a production illustrator and story artist on Dark City. Uh, back in ninety eight, and then from there it's just children's movies as far as the eye can see. Although she did do <laughs> some directing work for Tom McFarlane's Spawn um, series for HBO, which is again kind of dark, but certainly when we look at this, though, it's just it's like Kung Fu Panda, Madagascar, <laughs> Spirit, <laughs> Stalin, and the Camerarian. um But
1: but I but in in some ways, you know, Pop Squad does. Switch the switch the story around. It is a lot darker, but it does include you know that idea of children yeah. in this world as well. Obviously, they're not the main characters here, but there is a focus on I guess um, these children who who are being literally disposed of, and you know they're they're considered unregistered offspring and stuff. And you really can see what this world has become when population control becomes you know the center. <laughs> yeah the center of the of, of how the this this place is maintained.
0: Um, also with this episode it really sort of was one of the first episodes of this season where we saw like a super realistic animation style yes. Um, yes and you look at like the details of like the ruined city where Eve's living and you've got the backdrop and it's all this dilapidated city and this tiny this like wooden hut that she's lives in and that's been built in the middle of these ruins. it looks absolutely stunning. Uh, next up we have Snow in the Desert which seems to be everyone's personal favourite when you, when we've talked to anyone about uh, this one. I think mainly because it's got a Mandalorian vibe to it. Snow is an albino man who's got a unique ability that uh, his body continually regenerates and has essentially rendered him immortal. So he's hiding out, currently hiding out from a group of bounty hunters who are trying to get his balls and it's here that he <laughs> encounters a, a woman who Turns out to be a cyborg, and the two find a bond over the desire that of uh, the fact that neither of them are going to uh, to die ever. So essentially, that they would have this partnership where they would just be able to live forever. But uh, at the same time, a other a other group of bounty hunters are determined to hunt Snow down, leading to a memorable confrontation. Um. Again, another uh, short that's just really stunningly animated, hyper realistic. I think this one and uh, Life Touch um, had this super realistic style to them. So it's just astounding yeah. what animation can do now when you look at the detail and just how realistic these models look. Um, and then you have some have like a short like Over the House where it's stop motion and it's suddenly like really jarring. <laughs> 'Cause you get used to this sort of animated style that these that they're having. Um, and then you have like a sudden shift in like to stop motion, it's like, Oh, that's that's a bit different. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, Snow in the Desert I I mean I can see why people would like this one. It it definitely I think it feels a lot more in some ways I actually think Snow in the Desert feels a lot more mainstream. Um, in terms of the story that it's trying to tell and the world that it's built, um, set in kind of, you know, a desert and you, you have this, I guess you can, I've never watched Mandalorian, but I've seen like images and stuff of it, of the, of the show. Um, but I mean, I can definitely see the connection between the two, but then I mean, when you think about barren wastelands, it's always the same type of thing. You always have that, you know, it's kind of like, um. Mad Max Fury Road, right? You have that same type of desert and um how people are dressed so similar and you have these people in (laughs) their uh, (laughs) their funky uh I don't know, human designs. I don't know if they're human or not anymore. (laughs) Um, you know, like the bounty hunters look very um I guess they even look very like Mad Max style, like Mad Max Fury style in some ways. Kind of reminiscent to like riddick
0: and that it's that sort of um Goody nomad, sort of style, isn't it? So,
1: yeah. Um, but I mean, Snow in the Desert is interesting because you really get to see this character, and it's really focused on, um, the this person and, well, these two people, him and, and the girl who, in the beginning, we think she's really just a girl, um, until obviously something happens and then you realize that she is a cyborg. Um, and, I mean, it, it is really nice. I think the story. Um, I think it's done really well, but if you think about like, oh, what is there to to talk about for this one? I, I really, I really don't know. I, I just think it's a it's a good one, but um, I feel it lacks the uniqueness of the some of the other ones. Um, other than obviously like visually, it is very realistic. The first moment that, um, the uh, what's his Snow. name? Yeah. Is his name Snow? I don't even know. Yeah the The moment that Snow enters the scene, he, you, you really almost think he's like a real person. Um, but then you, as you watch the scene, you kind of realize it's an animation, right?
0: That's right. Um, and I mean, this is this is the uh, jarring thing when you see just how nice this animation um, looks, and it's not the fact it's even the same animation studio handling. I mean, this was by Eunice Image, and then we look at Life Hutch, which is by Blur Studio, so. Um, Blair Studio also did Pop Squad as well, so that's why the animation is kind of similar between the, the two but just how realistic it looks, is just so uh, good But um, Bless Studio did, did quite a few episodes in this season, they also did The Drowned Giant as well which we'll come to in a minute as well so I think they carried most of the, the work on this season but at the same time managed to really show some diversity work, so but um, yeah, snow in the desert. I think is the yeah. one episode which encompasses the three main themes of what Love, Death, and Robots is. as it features both love, death, and yes. robots. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, love. It. I mean, um, I mean, snow in the desert. I, I think it, in reality it is pretty balanced. Um, it's it's just a really decent watch because you have a really great world. You have a kind of. Um, the characters are fairly well polished for, you know, the the short <laughs> the length of the short. Um but it also has, you know, uh a lot of more um I guess more of a uh emotional mm-hmm. side as well to it as well as some action. So there there's a lot of everything involved and um as as a movie itself, it kind of has that, you know, up and down moment where you know there's like climax moment and then it kind of uh, it kind of ends in the way that it does
0: next up we've got uh, the tall grass uh, which is another one I really enjoyed Uh, this one's uh, directed by Simon Otto who was the head of character animation for the um, How to Train Your Dragon trilogy so this one um, sees a train breaking down and next to a field of tall grass uh while the passengers get enough to investigate the strange sounds and lights he sees in the grass only to soon discover that it's a bunch of ghoul like creatures that uh are determined to attack to attack him as he desperately tries to find his way back to the train um for some reason when I think of the tall grass I since think of like the Stephen King story that was also on Netflix but no this is something completely different so
1: <laughs> well Netflix has had a lot of uh tall grass lately so i don't know um isn't there a movie called like recently wasn't there an indie horror yeah that's the
0: one i was thinking of i was thinking oh is this this what happens in that one (laughs) i just wasn't sure it's like a different take but no (laughs) this one's got like an almost painting style to it it looks like everything's been like hand painted but um it's got to set in that sort of like old-timey wild west sort of setting as well which is really great because i love when you do an alternate take on the Wild West genre, if it be it like the Eastern Westerns, such as like um, Let the Bullets Fly, or Shinjuku Western Django, um, or Good, the Bad, and the Weird, or certainly in this um, thin like American ones, like Bone Tomahawk, which gave us like cannibals in the Wild West, and this one gives us weird albino monsters in the Wild West, essentially.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know it, it's interesting in some ways because like Tall Grass is kind of like a blend of a lot of different things. It's like yeah. kind of like a little horror short. You know, once once the horror starts, it gets a it turns into this like <laughs> frantic run for <laughs> run, just searching for an exit type of thing. Um, and you know the I think I think what I like most about the Tall Grass as you already mentioned is the art style. Um, right away, you have this. You can call it painting. For me, I almost feel like the skin almost feels like it's like, uh, I I think the best way is it's like Layers of Fear. (laughs) Like the game, Layers of Fear. It has that type of texture of of the painting. But at the same time, it almost feels like when you talk about the main character, he almost feels like his skin is like wood. You know, like the paint you have on like a wooden toy or something like that. Yeah, I
0: know what you mean, so...
1: I, th- I think it's, it's such a, the art style is so different from the rest of uh, the stories here also, that that's what makes us stand out. I mean, the story itself is really short, so it's paced really quickly. Things happen super fast as he's going through and he's moving. Um, it is one that, you know, it's a little bit more predictable also. Um, I guess it's just, you know, we're being the horror <laughs> veterans that we are. Uh, but you know you go through this one and you right away when someone tells you to not wander you know they're gonna wander and then you know they're gonna get lost (laughs) you kind of have an idea of what's going to happen i was surprised that
0: you managed to make it out to be honest
1: yeah exactly i almost thought because of you know the the theme of death in this one that there would be some type of like horrific death or maybe like he's gonna he's gonna transform into you know this character or whatever um, and that was going to be like the big twist of what these car cow- these these monsters are in the fields, um, but I think Tallgrass leaves a lot of you know it it leaves a lot of questions because a lot of what they know like what the um, conductor is talking to him about is really you know word of mouth like what people think is the situation or or whatnot and and it, it is very odd as well to have these creatures because where are they coming out from? Are they coming out from the <laughs> ground? Are they coming out from the grass? Are they, you know, and then they're talking about a portal. Um, where is all this light coming from? And then you think about it. Well, if they're in a field, why wouldn't they be albino? Because, you know, if we think about the logic of when do we see albino creatures, they're either in caves or they're in, you know, like when you talk about the descent or when you talk about... Um, even a uh, recent movie that we saw was forty seven meters down and caged you know, where where there's yeah. like albino sharks, right? And
0: I just assume it was the moonlight that uh, makes her skin translucent. So that's why they, they glow mm. in the in the in the light. Um,
1: that could be it too. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs>
0: Sorry to shoot your theory down, <laughs> there. But... No,
1: no, but I'm just saying. Like, I mean, that that okay. that's an interesting thing. <laughs> Overthinking, right? That's what that's what I'm um, But maybe it is a very very simple type of uh, type of answer like that. I,
0: um, I think the real the real effective part of this this story is just at the end when the train conductor like confides him. It's like you know, every now and again the train will break down to this spot, and it's sort of like, but I wouldn't tell people; they wouldn't believe you. <laughs> and it's just like that sting in the tail. It's sort of like the, the, He knew all the while what's going on out there And this is why he tells him to stay on the train um, yeah. And it's his own stupid curiosity That uh, Invokes the wrath of these monsters That are lurking in the tall grass
1: Yeah and, and you know I think that the ending of this is so great Not only with that conversation and how it ends But also like when the train is driving away You have the It's sh- like just Angle onto the field, and then you just see the light kind of lighting up across the tall grass.
0: Yeah, I think tall grass is just an underused horror thing. It's like in Children of the Corn, just having something lurking in the cornfields. Um,
1: well, I I really think you know it really depends on how something's executed, right? I watched an Australian movie that was like that too. Had a lot of tall grass. Yeah, I can't remember the name right now. <laughs> but uh it was like the swamp or something like that some some swampy one i can't remember what it was some, something about a swamp and it was um and that one was 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 okay like in terms of what they were creating but it it had a lot of like execution issues yeah so I think it really it really dials down. I do believe that tall grass is something that can be used really well. I haven't watched Into Tall Grass. I don't know if you have. No, so, I just uh, um, I, I haven't. I think that was hallucinations. I think it's like grass where you go in and then you start having hallucinations or something. Yeah, but so, I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that one is. But um, it, it is it is definitely like because tall grass is you know there's a lot of dangers to it. One, sometimes you can make them into really sharp and then they can cut you, so you can't run really fast in it. And then, you know, there's a lot of, like, dangers and, like, you can't see above of where you are and you get, crap and then there's, like, no sense of direction. So it is a really good, like, horror premise, depending on, you know, how it's used.
0: Next up, we had a great companion piece to Night Before Christmas as we had all through the house a little early <laughs> for a festive short. So I felt, felt kind of weird watching a festive short at this time of the year, but, you know, had to be done.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I just I just rewatched Anna and the Apocalypse, so I can watch Christmas things anytime.
0: Uh, we also have the shortest of the of this block of our episodes. As um, it's set on Christmas Eve, and a brother or sister hear something rustling downstairs, and believing it to be Santa, sneak down to catch a look. Only it's not Santa, at well, least not in the traditional form, anyway. As they meet a grotesque monster, who then proceeds to judge them good or bad. Mm-hmm. I really liked All Through the House. It's, it's charming and goes a little too quick, but I think it's got a real good uh, end note on, on it and just the actual monster designs a lot of fun as well, um, even though it's very heavily influenced by the Xenomorph from Alien.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so uh, they lose a little bit of that, even though it's sort of like these weird jazz hands it has over its mouth.
1: which is like pan's labyrinth right
0: i guess so it's somewhere between the two really isn't it it's kind of like between the um the pale man and a xenomorph so if the pale man it feels like it really
1: feels like all through the house is paying some kind of homage to um movies that they personally liked in terms of monsters and stuff so you have you know the pale man and then you have the xenomorph type of design compared together and and it's really interesting because you know we always talk about Santa and even have horror movies about Santa being you know evil, and we even have him in you know Kramp- as Krampus, which is a you know a, a kind of a dark, a really dark version of of Santa Claus. It's yeah, and... it's the
0: generic version of uh, of Santa Claus where he's this um, this this beast who kidnaps uh mm-hmm. even wicked children and that. And this is what I always love about the alternate alternate at Christmas is the fact that you look at different santas around the world and it's sort of like you look at the um, our, our one over here and it's so like nice and wholesome um and then you look at like norway and and that and it's sort of like a little more twisted um, yes it's
1: very very dark yeah
0: so I think in Japan there's a monk that acts like uh, Santa Claus and he's got eyes in the back of his head so he can see if children are being naughty. <laughs> which I always thought was kind of charming, so... Um, and then we obviously have, like, things like um, Rare Exports, uh, where the yes. where the people we assume are Santa are just the elves, and... Yeah, and, again, things like Saint, which is um, another... I think that's Norway, um, where you've got, like, um, the soot-covered helpers and stuff, so... But no, I yeah, think... Yeah,
1: well, there, there's a lot, right? I mean, there... Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, in... in... In uh, here in Montreal, they actually have an exhibit in one of the malls. They've been having it for the past, I think, decade or so, uh, where it's it's they put the different Santa clauses and the different designs, Mm. like the different like how the appearances are of different Santas in different parts of the world. So you have a lot like you have one that's completely in, in black. And then you have another one, obviously, or jolly Saint Nick type of thing, and a lot of them are very, a lot of them are very different in the mythology behind them, yeah. and, and different countries. There's different beliefs, and you know what they look like, and that sort of thing. And I think that you know it's Christmas, like alternate Christmas, and just Santa in general is 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 underused in the sense that they could be using it in in exploring all these different stories behind santa claus where we always get like the happy one and even when you do alternate christmas movies whether it's horror or whatever it's mostly a lot of um santa (laughs) being evil or some serial killer or um you know they have you know whatever twisted way in in determining kit for kids or just the setting of santa or something right and all through the house, talking back to, you know, Love, Death, and Robots, it, it takes him where Santa is now a monster. And he is literally, it's a creature feature. <laughs> it's a Christmas creature yeah. feature, essentially. <laughs> and, and you know, the ending note on this is so good because, you know, the kids are asking after, because the monster knows your name, says your name, and then says whether you're nice uh, or not. And, and they're like, well, what if we weren't nice?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: But so what would have happened if we weren't nice? And that's like the ending note. And then you're like and then you're like, Well what would have what would have been? Would he have coughed up coal or would he have eaten <laughs> them? Because that's <laughs> the thing, if
0: you judge nice, he regurgitates your presents for you. Um and they're covered in like slime and That's What else? And then you see the little kid <laughs> I was so sure that when the little kid opens his present, I was like, sure, sure it's gonna be like now before Christmas to be like something horrible and twisted and stuff, but no, it's all sort of like he gets a train set and it's like that's what I asked for. And then you go back upstairs in the line bed it's like, what if we were evil? What if we were bad? And it just hangs in the air. It yeah. just ends. It's like, it's just a perfect end note to end it on. But yeah, I think this is what I'm going to show my kids and go, yep, this is totally what happens.
1: <laughs> They'll be yeah, good forever. Like... <laughs> this is Santa. This is Santa. Okay. <laughs> Not those fictional ones.
0: <laughs> no other the cola company want you to believe. <laughs> um yeah, I think this is a great companion piece tonight before Christmas. I think we've been for years been wanting a companion piece and then Love Death and Robots is the thing that gives us <laughs> The companion piece, but it's a shame it's so short, but at the same time I think it does its it does what it needs to do and gets out of there so
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Next up we had um Life Hutch, starring Michael B. Jordan, which is exciting for people who like him.
1: Well, I—I I mean, I think Michael B. Jordan is decent. I watched something recently of his, also. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. What did I just watch? I know. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, Pacific River Uprising. That's what I watched.
0: <laughs> no, was that? I don't
1: Was No, that was a uh, that was um, what's his face? There, the the yeah, Star John Wars dude. Bojango, I was it. But uh, yeah, John. John yeah, John he's
0: uh, in Crete. And, yes um, yes yes that's it yeah he's in he was a killmonger in black panther um and he was responsible for that girl breaking uh her braces because she got overexcited in the cinema and he actually <laughs>
1: right, all right he yeah, paid yeah, yeah, for that's, her that's to it, have her okay.
0: braces fixed which is just really nice of him um and he's also <laughs> a fan of dragon ball so he's okay in that respect
1: I mean, I mean, Michael uh, Michael B. Jordan has been in 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 some really good movies. I mean, I haven't watched all nope. of them, but I mean, I, I have heard some really good things in movies that he's been in. Obviously, I've seen Creed, I've seen, seen Chronicle. Uh,
0: um,
1: but I mean, he started in um, he start. I think his he his fame was from Fruitvale Station, but uh, I don't I don't really know. I haven't watched that movie either. It's kind of on my list, but I haven't really. it. Yeah, Fruitvale it. Station
0: was the one that sort of really broke him out because he was in Chronicle before. And he was in black and white as well. So, uh, but yeah, he was he was doing other bits of TV and stuff before then. He was in like CSI and The Wire and Sopranos, Friday Night Lights. Is probably his most noteworthy role. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's currently mm. set to make his directorial debut with the imaginatively titled Creed Three, the sequel to Creed Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know who he's going to be finding that. I've heard it's going to be Clive Lang's son. We should be just keeping in track with this, but of course that's got nothing to do with Love, Death and Robots whatsoever. Um, as here he plays a space marine who gets shot down on a um, on a, uh, on a planet and then has to go to the rescue beacon only to find that uh, the robot uh, that also lives there has, gone mayf- has malfunctioned and now sees him as an enemy. So it's a real flashback to our first episode of this season really more Killer robots <laughs> yes. and remind me of many ways of the killer robot in Red Planet. Okay, you'd be forgiven if you didn't say it. it wasn't very good, but we had. Um...
1: <laughs> I have a feeling I might have seen it, but I don't remember right now. I think it, it was a while yeah, back. Yeah, Val
0: Kilmer in it.
1: Yeah, I might have seen it, but I saw it so long ago that yeah. I don't remember anymore.
0: Um, because that was the year we had two Mars movies like back to back. Because you often, you occasionally have like two of the same movies. Like you have Deep Impact and Armageddon came out. You had Volcano and Dante's Peak came out together. You had um, Alexander and mm. um, Troy came out at the same time. So sometimes it just works out of the way. And that was the year that we just all went to Mars, and both times <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> so, but no, Life Hatches. Um, it's a fun one. You two obviously have this wounded pilot who, in between battling this robot. Um, which is constantly trying to stalk me around this this life capsule Um, he has these flashbacks to how we ended up on the on the planet again really nice uh, animation in this one and super realistic I mean it's from Blair studio again Um, and this one was written by Harlan Ellison who has done over 1,700 short stories, novellas, screenplays, comic book scripts, teleplays, essays, and a wide range of criticism of literature, film, television, and print media. Um, Best known for his works include the 1967 Star Trek episode The City on the Edge of Tomorrow. Or Forever, sorry. Yeah, this is uh, a fun one, even though I thought that How You Trick a Robot Dog was (laughs) kind of stupid.
1: I actually thought it was kind of like... It was kind of a play on just how, no matter how advanced technology is, they're programmed to be yeah. a certain way, and I think that that's why they put that in as kind of like kind of like the comedic moment where it turns it around, where this very lethal sort of corrupted robot um, turns around and is actually, you know, is able to be defeated yeah. in that way. But I think that you know the the whole concept of it is. Is a lot of just, you know, him playing dead. (laughs) And it (laughs) was... the a whole thing spends a lot... I think it spends a lot of time on um, giving you... Kind of slowing down a little into this kind of more of a... um, More of a quieter type of, like, a a more low-profile sort of horror. Where it's just about the danger that's around you and how you deal with it, right? Like, what is this robot gonna do next? Um... When is it gonna scan him at one point, and then what little movements is he gonna do that's gonna, you know, um, get it to kill him or alert him that he's he's actually alive, type of thing?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's a it's a fun fun story. I mean, it's not a standout for myself, even though it's it's an enjoyable watch. Yeah. Um, I'd say this is sort of like in the middle range for I, myself.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the thing is because this. This story, I think the right word to say, is it it tries to create the suspense. And when you're trying to create the sort of suspense and this tension, it takes time to build it. And when you do shorts, it's really hard to build that tension. I I always find that that's the case. Like, there are a few shorts that I've seen which um, really execute that really well. But uh, this one, I don't know. I mean i think michael b jordan is good (laughs) but like in in the way that he's portraying it um in in terms of you know the the character and what they're creating for this character um and how he gets there but um i don't know i think i'm also a little bit like in the middle i can see a lot i can see the merit behind it and i had a lot of fun with the whole you know how he ended (laughs) the robot (laughs) but but I, I don't know it, it's not one that I particularly would, I probably would want to I don't know, it's not one that I, I'm particularly super um, impressed with
0: Okay, um, and finally we end up the season with The Drowned Giant which for my money is my favourite story of this season uh, directed by Tim Miller and uh, written by J.G. Ballard one of my favourite writers um it also uh, features in the cast Stephen Pacey who was uh, played Dell in Blake Seven, which, if you're lucky, is a very exciting thing. Cause he likes Blake Seven, so <laughs> um, go send him a message over at, uh, to TV Good sleep bad and tell him about how much you also love Blake Seven if you <laughs> enjoy it. But no, the Drown, <laughs> the drowned giant is a story set in modern day where a giant washes up uh, on the shore. And a group of academics set out to obser- observe it and basically assess, try and figure out where this giant has come from. Um, and the story basically follows this one, one of these academics who w- basically narrates the <laughs> how the st- the giant um, was sort of like treated over the coming months as it decomposes and it's um, generally. Broken up uh, so they don't have this giant just like lying on the <laughs> on the shoreline uh, but at the same time it's kind of interesting and it brings to mind like Jurassic World where You have this uh group of people Like the younger characters who's like really fascinated with dinosaurs still and then you've got his older brother Who's like busy playing on his phone because you know dinosaurs aren't interesting anymore and We're seeing that same evolution of people's interest with this giant. It's like initially people like super interested and excited and it's this big curiosity and then ultimately they just stop caring it just fades into the background this uh mythical creature just no longer is, uh, has any sort of magical allure to it and i thought it was just a really interesting and touching story so
1: yeah for sure i think the drow- the drowned giant is definitely one that i'm not sure everybody is going i'm not sure no. it's for everybody because it's, it's definitely, like, a slower story and takes a different pacing from what you would normally expect from Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, his whole... It's almost... It's pretty much a monologue, yeah. the whole thing. And this entire monologue brings a lot of very, I think, realistic points about humanity. But just... Through the observation of how someone, how the people around are treating this, you know, giant that gets washed ashore. Who is essentially just a giant human, you know. And when you think about the splendor of him and then you see him falling apart and then being chopped up. And the whole idea of, you know, just people being super disrespectful. And in my way, I actually (laughs) saw it really disrespectful as people started walking all over it and... And then, you know, doing graffiti and, and as it, and then it's like, (laughs) if this is how you, you know, it's something that, you know, you you always say, right? You can't have, you can't have nice things.
0: (laughs) No, we can't. Um, And this
1: is the exact, like, this is how you feel when you watch this is you get something amazing that washes up something unique, something that is unseen before. And it's treated with disrespect, essentially, and insults and as it becomes more chopped up and more whatever his, you know the the scientist brings up a point that it actually makes him more human and more vulnerable and i think that as you see it disfigure and being pulled apart and deteriorated um the interest starts going away because it's no longer in its human form which makes it less appealing i guess um and I, I, I don't know, I think it's just a very deep story the way, the story that I was trying to talk and this those very real and a little depressing about how humanity is, you know
0: <laughs> Definitely so and I love the fact, just the attention to detail, like when they're the walking on the giant and they see like his yeah. his cupped hands and it's got like the fish swimming in it and yeah. there's so many really moments in like the early part of the story where I thought the giant was like, going to wake up or just something was going to happen, but he never does yeah, but that's
1: the thing is, I this reminds me a lot of, um, I mean, it's a horror movie that I watch, but it in a similar way, um, it reminds me of Autopsy of Jane Doe. Okay. Where, you know, you have this, where in the entire story is about an observation of a dead person. And obviously, Autop- Autopsy of Jane Doe is a completely different beast in its own yeah. horror realm. Um, but like the drowned giant is a more you know emotional and more kind of touching story that touches base on on like more more topics of humanity and stuff like that so you, it, it, it's very different because as you end this you kind of go into the fact where the different parts of his body is now being held in display in different places
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and sometimes even you know mislabeled and you you just have this very it's it's just this like kind of sad kind of realisation about humans and the world, you
0: know. Yeah, you see his um his penis is being displayed in a sideshow carnival, uh but uh. mislabeled as a whale's penis. But I love the <laughs> fact the story it's emphasized in an academic terms, so it's penile gland. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um and I like the the fact that when you got the butchers who've got like the the bone above the shop and Uh, yeah, so you, as you were saying, like, um, it's uh, there's something about this the the story that just keeps ringing ringing true time and time again. That may you sort of nail on the fact the fact we can never have nice things. Um, in many ways, it reminds me of um, over here in Portsmouth, um, they built this life-size Brontosaurus statue, um, and it was being toured around. But the general consensus was that they were going to. Make it a permanent fixture in um, in Portsmouth as this just have it on the green, just this giant brontosaurus there, and um, it'd be interesting. You could go and you could go right up to it, but then some jackass set fire to it, and we no longer have it. And it just remind so many aspects of that. Just remind me of this story: the fact that we just can't have nice things. Things just you can't have. Just things that exist for the magical wonder without them losing the luster, and people just desecrating them. so... <laughs> So that was my takeaway from this story anyway so um, but yeah is that you know we was society that quickly gets bored with uh, with with everything eventually and apparently um, I don't know how a giant can drown but apparently it can um, um, even that's apparently not enough to hold the the world's wonder so but um that was obviously my favorite the season what was your favorite though Kim
1: it's, it's really hard to pinpoint what's my favorite, because I feel like everything has a little bit of something that I like. If you say, like, stand out of the season where I really remember it afterwards, it okay. would have to be Ice, that I really remembered a lot of. Um, the world, and the brothers, and that, it really okay. stood out for me. But then, you know, I mean, it's hard to argue, you know, all through the house I really enjoyed, but... I, like you said, it was really short for what it was, but then I don't know how they would have made it longer. <laughs> um, you know, through our discussion, yeah. I actually <laughs> I actually think the, Drown, the Drowned Giant is pretty good as well, but it's just because it's so different from what you'd expect in Life, Death, and Robots. I feel like <laughs> um, for a lot of people at least, it probably feels a little bit misplaced. But I actually feel like this is the one that talks the most about death. Because if you think about all the other ones, there's not really a lot about death other than um, snow in the desert, which kind of has a a little bit of everything. So, you know, if if you were to think about, you know, talk about that, then I think it's that sort of thing. But I mean, Pop Squad is also is also really good because of obviously the voice cast and it's definitely a standout in terms of what it is. Um, but I think, like, you know, when I talk about the season, I, I think the one that comes to mind first is always Ice. So maybe that's my favorite one. <laughs> but I don't know if I have a favorite right now because I feel like the, it's not its not so cut and dry like the first season. First season, there was a lot of ones that really just stood out and you could mm. really see how polished a lot of the shorts were. I'm not saying this one's not polished, but it's um, there's a lot of variety and it really depends on... I think, how you're feeling, or (laughs) what you're in the mood for watching, or what type of story you want to tell. Everyone has its own merit in what it's trying to do. Um, But then there's also a lot of, you know, there are still its own downfalls. Yeah, of course. Um, But I mean, I would say Ice and Pop Squad are probably top on my list, in terms of season two.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would probably put Pop Squad up there as well, so Um, I think on a similar sort of page. I mean, is there any sort of things you would like to see for Season 3 at all? I think the
1: best is to go in with an open mind. I really do hope that, you know, Season 3, they bring um, bring a little Mm. bit more, I don't know, bring some more variety. Uh, Because this season, you know, I think one of the big criticisms that I do have of it is I feel like some of the worlds are a little similar. Um, You're either on a barren planet ice or desert you know or you're in this uh, world of robots a robotic future where (laughs) either they've gone corrupt or they have some or they've been you know set off to go crazy you know and it 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 feels like when you have those little pieces in the middle that's when it feels like it's it's cut well Um, in some ways I think that I would have liked, say, the two shorts of the tall grass and all through the house to have been spread out, because I know the first season, you know, we had like a different order, like everybody got kind of a different order of, um, of how the show was seen. But I think the season, it's all pretty much everyone had it the same yeah. way. Uh, and and in some ways, I would have, I would have liked the sequence of it to be cut in the middle where you had tall grass not back to back with all through the house because it almost feels like it's like two similar features together. Both of them are kind of creature features. And if you cut it in between with that and say, like, um, the robots and stuff, it might feel a little bit more balanced. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that's, that's one of my things is it feels like they, they doubled a lot of the, there is still a lot of variety. The worlds are all different in their own regards, right? Every, everyone is very creative in creating this, um, Futuristic world or whatnot, um, but yeah, I mean, like there th- somehow something something in is not jiving with me for this season. Like I'm not as excited finishing this season as I was last one, and it might have to do with the fact that you ended on a pretty you know tame type of story with the drowned giant. <laughs> so. <laughs> But it, it's one that really, like, you, it makes you really think a little bit more. Um, this one ends on a lot of twists, which kind of gives you something to think about. Whether it's, you know, um, the end of All Through the House, or uh, the end of The Drowned Giant, or um, or even The tall grass, Everything leaves a lot of space for expansion. And if I was thinking about, like, a season three... Um, I would actually not mind seeing some of these ideas expanded into maybe like a second short if they're not going to do a full feature and kind of like carry the the idea forward type of thing or use at least some of the worlds and create an alternate story um but uh, but because it that way it could be standalone but still kind of for people who have seen seconds the second season it's it's kind of like um you know it has a bit of a throwback element
0: I think for myself, I would love to see more humorous episodes and just more monsters. That's what I hope for in the next season. Like, I mean, we obviously had the humorous elements of the story here, and I think with the first, the first story, I think it gave us that uh, sort of humorous element. But I just kept waiting for, like, <laughs> another story, like when the yoghurt took over. Yeah. Just a random little story like that. And I think automated customer service comes close to that, but I think it with the day the when the Yogurt took over it was just so detached because it was like the oral history of how sentient Yogurt became the dominant uh, leaders of, of society yeah. as a whole. I think this whole like alternate history timeline was um, what is yeah. what made it stand out. Um, and monsters, because I say it's always mm-hmm. fun to see monsters so like another you know, the Edge or Beyond the Aquila Rift, something to really spark that sort of creativity because I mean yes it's always fun to do robot stuff here but um and it was i appreciate the fact that they branched out and didn't just limit their vision Mm. and you could have something like the drowned giants and it still be a super effective story so um i'm happy to see more more of that maybe more alternate histories. it's i think that's what that's all i but just um my two main things would be just to see a another good comedy episode and um and maybe another couple of good monsters in there because over um the christmas episode all oh, quite for the house is all oh, for the house sorry was it's a fun monster design and it's a fun payoff um and it just made me wonder. It's like oh i just really want to see another monster episode here so
1: yeah i i get what you're saying um i think in, in some ways what what i what i take away from what you're saying is you want some kind of ridiculous humor type of thing because you know, when you talk about first season, there was a lot of humor moments. You know, even when you talk about the first one where it was, um, well, the first one I saw in my season was Three Robots. Yes. That still had a lot of humor to it. Um, and then, and then like you said, the yogurt one. And then And what? there was also the one in the freezer with the uh, Ice Age and the you know, alternate history or something Yeah, on and in the freezer. Um... Like, there, there's a lot of little, like, that one wasn't a long sequence either. And they were able to make that into a really type of, fun uh, fun type of series I think what here is a lot of it is some really serious stories um, very dark um, very serious uh, whereas you know we really just started off on a high note of humor and then it kind of like just <laughs> slowly gets more intense <laughs> as you get to the drowned giant which is some heavy content in my opinion yeah.
0: But no, I was yeah. I certainly well, it was a change of pace from the first season, and obviously the short I think the short season didn't help it, but at the same time, I wasn't disappointed by what we got. I know there's mm. people out there who are like, "Oh, it wasn't as good as the first season, but I still enjoyed it. It's yeah, I think it's because we're so deprived of original stories at the minute and something that's not a franchise because I think that's the problem at the moment. We have a lot of stories which are just like trying to establish like franchises and worlds and things, and just to have like. That outer limits Twilight Zone style of storytelling um, it's just really a welcome sort of change of pace at the minute. And something that we it'd be great to see more anthology shows following its weight, but there certainly it doesn't seem to be anything on the horizon, especially with the cancellation of the new Twilight Zone. Um, it would seem that we're sort of limited once again for our options on that front.
1: Well, I mean, if you have Shudder, you still have Creep
0: I yes, true. We do have yeah. Creep Show. That is correct. I stand corrected. <laughs> So we have two shows. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Maybe we can get a Fed. Maybe do like a fantasy one or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, do it in a. Um, oh, in sort of like a twisted sort of way. Something like Wizards or um, Fire and Ice. Just that, uh, because that was the thing. The whole project is derived from Finch and Miller trying to. Do a remake of Heavy Metal, which was um, again an anthology collection, but that had fantasy elements in it as well. Um, So it'd be fun to see them go off and do like a show which has got like a fantasy take on the Love, Death, and Robots um, style, but do it like sort like um, like with like an adult slant rather than just a whimsical slant, which fantasy often has the uh, the habit of slipping into. So. Well, that obviously brings us into tonight's show. Thank you for listening and uh, let us know what your favourite episodes of Deaf and Robots were. Um, if you haven't done it already, please do hit the like and subscribe button where you have it. you happen to be listening to us. And you can follow us on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. And, uh, you know, we, uh, just let us know what you think of the show. Uh, but we will be back again very soon with another half hour's episode. So uh, we look forward to you joining us very soon for that. But until then, good night.